It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a Moorish selection of our finest reporting and analysis from the week. I'm Anne McElvoy, head of Economist Radio. And on our menu... India's booze ban hits businesses. China announces a new megacity and a profitable way to stop computers from being racist. But first, why computers will never be safe was our cover line this week. As digital technology blends further into our lives, the importance of cybersecurity is growing commensurately. But the current system is broken and insurance could offer a helping hand, our cover leader argued. Computer security is a contradiction in terms. Consider the past year alone. Cyber thieves stole $81 million from the Central Bank of Bangladesh, and Russian hackers interfered in the American presidential election. But behind global headlines lie less publicised but equally pernicious acts. A black market in computerised extortion, hacking for hire and stolen digital goods is booming. A problem that's about to get worse, we explained. The arrival of the Internet of Things will see computers baked into everything from road signs and MRI scanners to prosthetics and insulin pumps. There is little evidence that these gadgets will be any more trustworthy than their desktop counterparts. Hackers have already proved that they can take remote control of connected cars and pacemakers. This issue stems largely from the complicated nature of programming. Software is hugely complex. Across its products, Google must manage around 2 billion lines of source code – Errors are inevitable. But don't despair. Insurance could lead software companies to start boosting defences. Fortunately, the small but growing market in cybersecurity insurance offers a way to protect consumers while preserving the computing industry's ability to innovate. A firm whose products do not work properly or are repeatedly hacked will find its premiums rising, prodding it to solve the problem. You can read more about how that might work, along with a three-page science section dedicated to computer security in this week's issue. With the world getting to work securing its digital infrastructure, over in our China section, we find a dramatic venture in urban architecture. As an article explained, the country's president wants to build a new city from scratch that will dwarf New York. Throughout Chinese history, the dawn of new dynasties often involved moving the entire capital imperial palace and all, to a new city. By those dynastic standards, Xi Jinping's ambitions are modest. He simply wants to shift some of Beijing an hour's drive to the south. Nevertheless, his vision is quite a feat. All going well, the new area, known as Shungan, will cover 2,000 square kilometres, nearly three times the size of New York City or Singapore. And ostensibly at least, this isn't just a vanity project. The point of Shungan is to tame Beijing's surging population, which has caused gridlock on its streets and exacerbated a chronic shortage of water. Will Xi Jinping's dream become a reality? Read more in this week's issue.
Onwards now to India, where a new legal ruling threatens to bring down many businesses and likely leave a few disgruntled customers too. As an article in our Asia section reported, new rules on drinking have left many people high and dry. In November, the central government scrapped 86% of paper currency, pitching citizens into a mad scramble to find alternative ways to buy, sell and get paid. In March, it slipped a new rule into the annual budget bill that frees taxmen to raid or seize any property at any time with no need to explain why. And now India's Supreme Court has dealt another blow to business. Its judges not only upheld an earlier decision to deny licences to sell alcohol within 500 metres of a state or national highway, they also extended it from retail outlets to embrace any place serving alcohol, be it a bar, restaurant, restaurant, hotel or club. The reasons for the ban are lucid. In a country that suffers 400 traffic deaths a day, the need to curb drunk driving is clear. But the ruling will leave many entrepreneurs, well, in need of strong drink. To India's liquor and hospitality industries, the shock has been cataclysmic. Nationwide, we are talking about closing 100,000 outlets and losing a million jobs, says Dilip Datwani, a Mumbai hotel owner and top executive in both regional and national hotel and restaurant associations. As Indian businesses take stock of their loss, we turn to our business section, which took a deep dive into the oil industry and found it wanting, not for oil, but for rapid innovation. As an article explained, the whole process is in need of a digital revolution, but the industry seems a bit slow to take it up. Once, big oil was at the forefront of digitisation, pioneering the use of 3D seismic data and supercomputers to help find resources. But priorities changed, especially during the past decade when oil prices rose above $100 a barrel and the primary goal was to find more of it, whatever the cost. But falling oil prices mean producers are changing tack. The industry as a whole is waking up to the fact that digitisation and automation have transformed other industries, such as commerce and manufacturing, and that they have been left behind. It's the process of extracting oil and gas that seems ripe for digitisation. Drilling often takes place miles below the surface in rock formations where drill bits and pipes can be broken or snagged, which halts activity for long periods. Yet the message is taking a while to sink in. Some argue that the embrace of digital technologies could be the next big thing after the shale revolution that started to transform oil and gas production in America a decade ago. But this is an industry that embraces new technologies only in fits and starts. The major foreign policy story this week was the Trump administration's relations with the wider world. And in Washington, for The Economist Asks, I spoke to John McCain. He's chairman of the powerful Armed Services Committee in the Senate and a former candidate for the White House himself. So what does he make of this president's record on bipartisanship, Syria and Vladimir Putin? Vladimir Putin is an old KGB colonel. He respects strength. And if he... believes that much of his adventurism uh, is not worth the price, then he won't do it. He's the ultimate pragmatist. He's a gangster and a thug and a pragmatist. He's not an ideologue. He's a gangster. Sure he is. 
As we explored in our Money Talks podcast this week, as robots become faster and nimbler, humans look increasingly vulnerable. Our free exchange columnist Ryan Avent compared this era to the last time automation caused major societal upheaval. Uh, and so in the Industrial Revolution, we uh, were, were pretty effective in uh, moving people to the cities where new jobs were being created, in giving them education to help them fill those new jobs. And in, and in smoothing the adjustment in, in that way, and even so, it was still a difficult adjustment, and that's why the Luddites were smashing their machines. I think it's going to be a lot harder now to, to do all those things. If robots are going to replace us, we might as well bake some compassion into their wiring. In our science and technology podcast, Babbage, we heard how humans could be paid to teach their artificially intelligent counterparts. And here's Glenn Weil of Microsoft Research explaining how the new system might work. So we're trying to teach computers not to say racist things. This was a big controversy. Microsoft had a major problem with this. But how do we learn that? We don't have that many examples of that was that person being racist. We might think all the time, oh, that guy was racist. But how do we teach computers to avoid that sort of behavior? We need people to tell us that. And that's the sort of thing that's not being told. And that if we were paying, if we had a system, then we might really be able to learn that. While we're thinking about teaching it to improve, it's worth asking, how much do you actually know about how most technology works? Perhaps not a lot, according to a review in our Books and Arts section. A new book entitled The Knowledge Illusion explores the notion of human cleverness and finds it lies in making people think that they know more than they actually do. Do you know how a toilet works? What about a bicycle or a zipper? Most people can provide half-answers at best. They struggle to explain basic inventions, let alone more complex and abstract ones. Nevertheless, in spite of this blatant ignorance, we managed to navigate our way through the world, and quite successfully at that. So how is it possible? Stephen Sloman and Philip Fernbach, two cognitive scientists, draw on evolutionary theory and psychology. They argue that the mind has evolved to do the bare minimum that improves the fitness of its host. The distribution of labour means that people are inclined to store little information in their own heads. Because humans are a social species and evolved in the context of collaboration, wherever possible, abilities have been outsourced. Much knowledge is instead spread through the community whose members do not often realise that this is the case. And a little test that the authors provide may help to cement their case in your mind. Subjects are asked to rate their understanding of something, then to write a detailed account of it, and finally to rate their understanding again. The self-assessments almost invariably drop. So ask yourself again, do you really know how a bicycle works? There's one thing we can be sure of. We're at the end of this week's tasting menu. Don't forget you can read all of our articles mentioned in this week's issue and find our other podcasts online. Do keep sending in your feedback by email to radio at economist.com. In London, this is The Economist. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.